بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله الذي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآل الطيبين الطاهرين لا سيما بقية الله في الأرضين أجل الله تعالى فرجه الشريف اللهم أخرجني من ظلمات الوهم وأكرمني بنور الفهم اللهم افتح علينا أبواب رحمتك وانشر علينا خزائن علمك برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين. Today we have few discussions. One is about the fact that the prophets were given by Allah subhanahu wa taala knowledge of the unseen, al-mulqib, knowledge about the unseen. The second discussion would be about determination as another characteristic of the prophets. Then, inshallah, we'll talk about Esma, infallibility of the prophets. Uh, I don't think we would reach Mu'jizah, but uh, Mu'jizah or miracles is the last part of the unit four. As we said last week, or in the last session, the prophets are given for guidance of us, our guidance. They are given some special knowledge, which is different from conventional, ordinary knowledge. It doesn't come by reading or studying, you know, thinking, putting you know evidence together. It's a kind of knowledge that comes directly from God and is immune with respect to illusion, confusion, misunderstanding. And because of the verse 65 of chapter 18, Muslim scholars have used the term because in this verse Allah says فَوَجَدَ عَبْدًا مِنْ عِبَادِنَا آتَيْنَاهُ رَحْمَةً مِنْ عِنْدِنَا وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ مِنْ لَدُنَّا عِلْمًا They found a servant of us that we have given him mercy from us and we have taught him from us knowledge. So, لَدُنَّا from ourselves. So this Elm Ladunni includes knowledge about this world which is visible for us, which we have access, and the world which we don't have direct access. We know about it through scripture, through the prophets, but most of the time we don't have direct access. And that is what we call Alamul Ghaib, the world of the unseen. For example, the angels, we cannot see them. The spirits of ourselves or the people who have died, there are spirits we cannot see. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself, you know, we cannot see. Uh, even, you know, as you know, right now we have hell and heaven. We cannot see. So for us, this is ghaib. And this is a relative issue. You have to remember. For us, this is ghaib. Not that it's a lower level of you know, existence. Actually, it's higher level of existence. We cannot see. For themselves, it's everything uh, clear. Anyway, there is a discussion you may have seen some Muslim, you know, sects, and in particular, maybe just one sect, you know, very much, you know, emphasizes on the fact that the prophets and the people who are muqarrab to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they don't have ilmul ghayb. They deny anyone other than God as the reason is some 
you know, texts like this, for example, the Quranic text in Surah 6, verse 59. With him are the keys of the unseen. No one knows them except him. They say, look, it says no one knows the keys of the unseen except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So no one knows Al-Mul But we say, if you read Quran carefully and bring all the Quranic references together, you would find that the Quran itself says, it is true that the knowledge of Ghaib belongs to Allah. But he may disclose it to some people that he is pleased with. If you look at the verse, verses 26 and 27 of chapter 72. He is the one who knows Ghaib, knows the unseen, the hidden world. He would not inform anyone about Ghaib, illa. This illa is very important. So it means that there is a possibility. Except those messengers that God is pleased with. Those that God is pleased with them, like you know, messengers. So it's possible. To know, but we have to remember, in the first place, it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no one can independently know al-mulqay. Actually, this is the case about many other things or every other thing, you know, that every good thing that we have is not independently given to us. We have it because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's will. Even with respect to the mu'jizat, you know, to the miracles, you know, we say it's all bi'iznillah. Yeah, with the permission of Allah, with the blessing of Allah, with the leave of Allah. Uh, so, this is something that we know and we discussed in Tawheed Af'ali. As you remember, we said everything is an act of God, but at the same time can be attributed to the lower agents. We also had the example of receiving the souls at the time of death. In the Quran, it's attributed to God. Allahu yatawaffal anfus. It is attributed to Malakul Mut. Malakul Mut, the angel of death. It is also attributed to the angels who work for Malakul Mut. This is a hierarchy, no problem. But no one can be next to God in the same level, independent. No. So. This is not a big, I think, problem. We don't need to talk about it more. There are two examples in the book about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam being aware of something that no one else had any clue about it. It was only through direct communication of Allah to Rasulullah. One is about the period in Medina, another in Mecca. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in Medina, in Medina to Nabi'i, a woman called Sara. Sara was from one of the tribes of Mecca. She went to Rasulullah in Medina. Rasulullah said, uh, what is the reason for coming here? Are you, uh, you know, willing to embrace Islam? Have you come, you know, to join Muslims? She said, no. Rasulullah said, do you want to live in Medina? She said, no. So why you have come here? She said, you know, uh, you were like, a, you know, great uh, hope for us, a master for us. Uh, and now we are in need of help. So please help us because uh, we have lost many of our people. 
so I am needy. So Rasulullah told some children of Abdul Muttalib to give her some dress, to give her, you know, some goods, and also an animal that she can ride to go back to Mecca. So although she was not a Muslim, but Rasulullah still helped her a lot. Then there was a person in Medina called Hatib. Hatib wanted to send some information to Quraysh in Mecca about Muslim army which was just getting ready to go for a battle with the people of Mecca. So Hatib wanted to send this intelligence to them to inform them about Muslims' plans and about Rasulullah's tactics and you know all these things. So he gave a written message and with some you know money and some gift and said don't say this to anyone and just when you go to Mecca give it to them. So after she left Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Jibra'il informed Rasulullah. So Ali alayhi salam, Ammar, Umar, Zubair, Talhe, Meqdad, Abu Murthad, few people, Rasulullah sent them after her. So seven people. Rasulullah said, Go and find her and take this from her. When they reached her, she denied. So she said, I don't have anything, any message, any you know secret. They looked into her you know belongings and goods, they couldn't find it. So they said, Let's go back. There is nothing. But Amir Muhammad said, No, I don't go back. Because when Rasulullah says that this lady has got something, you know, and she has a secret, definitely this is the case. So Amirul Mu'min said, you must tell us, I know that Rasulullah doesn't make mistake. So finally she brought from inside her hair the message that she was hiding. And, you know, then uh, they went back and Rasulullah asked that person, why you did this? And, you know, he apologized and Rasulullah forgave him. But, you see, no one had any clue about this. Another incident is about the period in Mecca. You know, for three years, Muslims were under embargo and you know sanction in Sha'bi Abi Talib. And only in the month of Haram, Ashhurul Haram, you know, four months are Ashhurul Haram, only in those months they were able to come down to the city and do some you know, shopping transaction. Otherwise they were not able to buy, no one was permitted to sell them anything. The situation was terrible. So after three years, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed Rasulullah that the treaty that they had, you know, signed, which was like the document, the mandate for, you know, putting this embargo on Muslims, is eaten by insects. It was inside Kaaba, no one was looking at it and no one was aware of it. So when they informed Quraysh, they said, no, how is it possible? It's okay. So let's go and check. So they checked all parts were, which were written, were eaten by insects except the name of God. So they had to cancel the sanction. So these are just two examples of Ilmul Ghayb that Allah gives to the prophets. The next topic is determination.
we have already talked about knowledge of the prophets. And the next characteristic is determination. Determination is very key figure. And I can tell you that most of the time, we actually don't need anything other than determination. You know, when people are successful or not successful, you may think it's because those who are successful, they had either help of other people, they had money, they had resources, they had training. So you think that the factors which lead to success are external. But the reality is that the main factor for success is determination. If you are determined to do something, even if your material, you know, resources are limited, if you have problems, you can overcome. Even if you are physically disabled, you can overcome. With determination, you can do almost everything. Almost. I'm not saying 100%. For example, you have determined to fly, you know, you cannot fly, you know. But you can create something to fly. You see, the people who are even disabled, when they are determined to do something, for example, sport, art, they do something that even people who are not disabled are not able to do. People who come from very poor family, but they are determined to learn and study. They become top scholars, top scientists. And sometimes people who have everything, even they have, you know, private tutor, everything, you see, they may not learn. Determination is very important. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran introduces some of the select of the select of the prophets as ulul azm fasbir kama sabara ulul azm min ar-rusul allah says to the prophet this is chapter 35 verse 46 be patient in the same way that those who had determination were patient this is very important. Out of all human beings, from the beginning up to the end, we have 124,000 Nabi, prophets. Out of 124,000, we have 313 Rasul. Out of 313 Rasul, we have only five Ulul Azm. The people of great determination. Prophet Nuh Ibrahim Musa Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Isa Musa I think I uh, mentioned without order Nuh, Ibrahim, Musa, Isa and Prophet Muhammad These are prophets of Ulul Asm there is a beautiful saying of Imam Zainul Abidin which says the best provision of a person who is moving towards God, a wayfarer, is determination. Inna <clears throat> Afdal <coughs> means the best. Zad. What is Zad? Zad tushe. Provision. Yeah? Zad means provision. What does it mean, Rahile Wayfarer who is trying to come to you. 
So the best provision of someone who is trying to get closer to you is azmu iradatin yakhtaruka biha. It's the determination in the will by which he chooses you or anything else. If you decide to do something and leave all the other options aside, you will do it. And if you are not determined, you don't do it. Sometimes we see people are so determined that they go to very challenging situations. If you read the lives of the people who have changed the world, you would see one very common element in them is determination. They never, you know, uh, gave in. They never, you know, accepted the condition. They always wanted to do better. So this is very important, determination. As an example, Prophet Nuh, he had very, very difficult time. I don't think we can really understand his situation. For 950 years, he was preaching. 950 years. When, it, when we do something in one year, two years, five years, you know, we become tired. For 950 years, he was preaching. How many people accepted his invitation towards religion and God? About 80 people. So as we said you know, in some lectures, you know, every 12 years as an average, one person. Imagine, you know, for example, if you go somewhere for teaching people, for helping people, guiding people, and it takes 12 years till one person <laughs> accepts. You would lose your hope. Even maybe in the first year, second year, you say, Khoda <laughs> I am, I have to go. But he kept trying, he kept trying, he kept trying, 950 years. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't expect from Nuh to bring lots of people. Allah says, you have done your best, that's enough for me. Quantity is not important. If even no person was believing in him, this was not reducing the value of Nuh. Because he did his best. Whether people appreciate or not, it's up to people. No, you, know, you cannot expect from the Prophet to force people. People may appreciate, people may not appreciate. If you are able to do something and people appreciate, you should not think it's because of you. You should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you may do something excellent and no one appreciates. You may do something, you know, even not very excellent and people appreciate. Hearts of people are to them. And of course, Allah is the creator of people. He can also change their heart. But sometimes Allah doesn't change their hearts. Just leaves them to themselves. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only didn't reduce the position, the rank of Nuh, because, you know, he was not very helpful, you know, in quantity. He didn't say, okay, based on your performance, you know, we give you rank. No. Actually, Allah raised him to a very high, to the highest level, to ulul azm. Sometimes I say that if Nuh salam had contract with any community, after two, three years, they were not going to extend his contract. <laughs> you are not, you know, doing anything. But this is not the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at things. Sometimes 
maybe even in family this happens. Sometimes, you know, father, mother, brothers, sisters, you know, they very much try to help other members of the family. And you see there is no success. You shouldn't lose your hope and you shouldn't start blaming yourself. Why my child is not, you know, good or is not as good that I want? What is wrong with me? There can be something wrong with you, but sometimes also it's possible that you are not guilty, you are not, you know, responsible. You did your best, but people don't appreciate. What is important is between you and Allah, you have to do your best. And inshallah, over time, they should also show appreciation. But even if they don't, it's not a problem. Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim was also one of those five ulul And you know, Ibrahim was the one that was tested again and again. And finally, he managed to pass all the tests. And Allah says, وَإِذْ ابْتَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ رَبُّهُ بِكَلِمَاتٍ فَأَتَمَّهُنَّ He passed all the tests. And then finally, Allah appointed him as Imam, a leader for humanity. One of his greatest and perhaps the greatest test was to be ready to sacrifice his own son. It's not easy. Especially imagine a person like Ibrahim that for many, many years didn't have any children. And also he was a very loving father, you know, Ibrahim was very attached to his progeny. Many times he talks about his progeny, Zoriyati. So it's very easy uh, for, sorry, it's not very easy for Ibrahim to offer his son as sacrifice. But because this was the command of God, he accepted. And of course, as you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved Ismail. But what is important is that Ibrahim and Ismail both were happy to act according to the will of God. So they use, the, in the wars and battles, they used to use this to throw, you know, fire, for example, into castles, whatever. So with this, they threw Ibrahim into fire but he didn't change his idea, he didn't change his mind, he didn't say, okay, I accept what you say. He was so determined that even when he was put into fire, he didn't change his mind. Even according to some hadith, when Jibrail offered him help, he said, Amma ilayka fala. I don't want to ask you for help. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows my situation and whatever he decides is the best for me. Prophet Musa, Allah nabiyyana wa salam, he was also in a very difficult situation. From childhood, you know, all the tragedies happened to Bani Israel till he became a prophet, and after that, <coughs> that Pharaoh was doing, but he was determined. Prophet Isa alayhi salam. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, according to what has been narrated from himself, said, Ma uzi'a nabiyun, mithla ma uzi'ed. No prophet has been annoyed and, you know, troubled like me. If you review the life of the prophet, you find his life was very, very difficult life. His father died even before he was born. Then soon he lost his mother. He lost his grandfather. Then, when Islam came, 
he and his followers went through lots of you know challenges ridiculing them mockering them charging them with madness and you know this type of things torturing them confiscating their money property killing them all these problems three years keeping them <coughs> in Sheikh Abi Talib and then losing his wife losing his uncle and then going to Medina but in Medina had to go through lots of challenges there were Munafiqeen, hypocrites in Medina there were you know attacks and battles his life was full of challenges but Rasulullah was able to remain determined. I'm sure you all know this story that in Mecca in the early years, the leaders of Quraysh asked Abu Talib to convey a message to Rasulullah. They said, whatever he wants, we give him. Money, position, women, we give him. Just ask him not to say anything about idols, not to emphasize on unity of God. Just this. And Rasulullah said, if they put sun in my right hand and moon in the left hand, I'm not going to change my opinion. So determination is very important. And inshallah, if Allah gives us and we try also to have determination, I am sure we would be able to be very successful in our life, inshallah. The next quality is ismat, infallibility. This is a very important discussion. And you can find uh, something here. And also in my book, Shi Islam, Origins, Faith and Practices, also I have some discussion about Isma, some of the things overlap, some are not. So, all Muslims agree that in tabligh, in delivering the message of God, prophets were maqsum, were infallible. There is no controversy. All Muslims from all schools of Islam, they say that the prophets were ma'asum, were infallible in delivering the message of God. Receiving revelation and then passing on to people was guaranteed. But then they have disagreements about other aspects of their life some muslim theologians they say the prophets were infallible after they became prophets before they were not infallible maybe even they worshiped idols maybe they committed sins but after they become prophets they are infallible some theologians say that prophets, even after they become prophets, in their personal life, they may not be infallible. In tabligh, in delivering the message, they are infallible. But in their personal life, they may make mistakes. Or some of them say they may make major sins or they may make unintentional sins they may commit unintentional sins so there are areas that they all agree and that is about the life of the prophets after they become prophets as much as it is related to tabligh to their mission this is agreed by all the period before they became prophets or their personal life after they become prophets are controversial. Normally, the majority of Shia scholars, especially in the recent centuries, 
they have the idea that the prophets are infallible from the beginning of their life even before they became prophets they never committed any sin they never worship idols they never you know for example i don't know killed anyone they never you know did uh, injustice and also in their personal life there are two arguments in the book for infallibility of the prophets the first argument is God the Almighty is wise as we said in unit 2 he is Hakim Hakim the wise is the one who does things with purpose God sends the prophets for the purpose of guiding humanity if the prophets are not able to deliver the message of God then the purpose is not achieved is missed here there is a need for explanation uh, there is not de a detailed explanation here but in the book Shi Islam I have detailed explanation because some people may say okay in delivering the message they can be infallible why they should be infallible in all aspects of their life the question is this if the prophets were not infallible even if it was in their personal life even if it was for a small issues people would not be able to trust them 100% you know we are talking about people we are not talking about philosophers we are not talking about theology we are talking about people do you think you know realistically do you think majority of people would be able to have a hundred percent trust in someone in his delivering of message delivery of message when they see he can be doing bad things in his personal life or he can make mistakes for example sometimes he forgets things in his personal life but then say no when he is reading quran he's not going to make mistakes is it possible for people to make such distinctions is not possible if they want to trust especially when prophets come you know normally people have to totally change their lifestyle from being for example idol worshiper to become a believer in God it's a big shift if they are not able to put complete trust in that person they are not going to change their lifestyle they are not going to give their life their money all the things that they have to do if needed so we say in order to achieve our goal and that is guiding people we need to make sure that the message is delivered properly and also we have the trust of people if people don't trust it's not enough this is why prophets should also be people who have a good character if the prophets in their appearance or in their behavior they are pushing people away again the mission is not achieved imagine if God sends someone that people are afraid of going towards him what is the purpose does any wise person choose a representative or a person for marketing that people are afraid of going to him either he's you know physically frightening them or his akhlaq is very harsh very you know bad 
people are afraid of talking to him, asking him questions. No wise person would choose such people to be his ambassadors, his representatives. So, for God to achieve the goal of guiding humanity, it's important to choose people that people can have 100% trust in them and can get close to them and can love them. And this comes if they have a life of piety, a life of moral excellence. If you study the life of Rasulullah you see, even before he became prophet, he was very outstanding in his moral character. He was known as Amin. Not after he became prophet, even before. From young age, people had trust in him. They never heard any lie from him. They never saw him hurting anyone, harming anyone, doing anything bad, anything immoral, anything vicious. Even after Islam, when they were killing, torturing Muslims, they didn't lose their trust in Rasulullah. And you know, still they used to leave their valuables with Rasulullah. If they were traveling, if they were worried, you know, they put their trust, their amanat with Rasulullah. 13 years after Islam, when Rasulullah was going to migrate to Medina, still he had some trust of Quraysh. And one of the jobs of Amir al-Mu'minim was to give this trust back to the people and take Lady Fatima and his mother and go to Medina. But Rasulullah had so much respect and you know trust that still they kept their values with him. And also Rasulullah didn't say, okay, these are people who are killing us, you know, we don't bother about their trust. No. He said to Amir al that you have to make sure that all these trusts go back to people. So this is the first argument. The second argument is that the prophets not only are responsible for delivering the message, teaching people, they are also responsible for tarbiyah, for a spiritual development of people for their purification to purify people to purify people you need to have a role model a good role model a good example if the prophets themselves were not good examples and they were just giving theoretical lessons it's not going to work people should see in them what they preach so, if God is wise, which he is, and he has the purpose of guiding humanity towards perfection, and for this reason he has sent the prophets, he must make sure that the prophets are capable of delivering this job. And this needs them being people who are 100% trustworthy, people that are loved, people that are inspiring people. Let me tell you something also about the nature of Isma. There is a very brief discussion here. What is the nature of Isma? What is the reality of Isma? What is the, you know, essence of Isma? Is it a kind of restriction Allah has created them in the way that they don't commit sins. <clears throat> or for example, whenever they want to commit sin, an angel comes and stops them. No. If it was like this, it has no value. The reality of Esma is that they have such understanding and determination that they don't do anything which is vicious, which is immoral, out of their own will. They can commit sin, but they don't want to commit sin because they see 
they feel, they sense the ugliness of the sins. Ulama say, actually there are examples that we are also ma'asum. You know, there are few things that even we never do, although we can do. For example, if you see that there is a poisoned water, poisoned food, and you know that this is poisoned food, you are not going to eat or drink. We never do such mistake. Unless a person is deciding to commit suicide, that's a problem. But no person in, you know, mental, you know, health would do this. Or for example, we never go to the street nakedly, although we can. We never go on top of a high building and, you know, throw ourselves. We can do that. We never... I don't know, for example, put our children into, for example, fire. Although we have the free will, but we never do, even we, not, we don't think about doing these things. Why? Because the ugliness of these things, badness of these things are so obvious that we never even think of them as an option. For some people, even sometimes you can find this in ordinary people, not ma'asumin. Some scenes actually are this. You know, I, I am sure you have seen people, and inshallah you yourselves are like this. There are people that really hate telling lies. It's not that, you know, for example, they sometimes want to tell lies, but they say it is haram, you know, we shouldn't tell lies. Their character is that they hate telling lies. Or they hate backbiting people. You know, there are some people who are really feeling the badness of these things. Why we should talk about someone who is not present? You know, to talk in a bad way. Or doing zulm to other people. So the reality of Isma is knowing very well that scenes are ugly, are vicious, are immoral, and therefore you don't want to do that. The last point about Isma is what about mistakes? The prophets certainly never commit sins intentionally. The prophet never makes mistakes in delivering the message. Okay. But what about them making mistakes in their personal life? For example, he wanted to go his home, mistakenly he went somewhere else. What is wrong with that? It's not a matter of morality. It's not a matter of, you know, being pious or not being pious. Mistakes or forgetting. Prophet forgets something. What's wrong with that? You say, this is a matter of trust. If he mistakenly does something or forgets something, people cannot trust him. And if he mistakenly commits, commits a sin, this would affect his heart. This would darken his heart. He would not be able to receive revelation. Okay, so everything has its own explanation. And also, you have to remember that Isma has two parts. Maybe you don't find this clearly mentioned in books even here is not mentioned but inshallah remember this point Isma has two parts one part is what the prophets achieve 
The second part is the gift that God gives them. You know, we say ma'asum. Why we say ma'asum means protected. But why he is protected? Why God helps them in a special way? Because they themselves worked hard to be pious. Therefore, it has two parts. The prophets, out of their understanding and determination, they do their best not to do anything wrong. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would help them with remaining aspect of isma. You know, mis not making mistake is not something that you can plan or you can achieve by yourself. Not to forget. To some extent, yes, you can you know, say, I make it on, uh, take notes, whatever. But beyond that, you cannot guarantee. These things, mistakes, unintentional you know, mistakes, forgetfulness, these are the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps them away from. So if someone asks you, is Isma infallibility a gift or an achievement? What is the answer? Uh, we say both. When it comes to committing bad actions, they do their best not to commit any bad action and they have to reach that level that they actually hate doing bad things. But when it comes to mistakes, human beings can make mistakes. Forget, human beings can forget. This is the area that Allah helps them. Why? Because of the benefit of humanity. Otherwise, making mistakes is not a problem. No, it's not a moral issue. Forgetting is not a moral issue. But in order having trust of people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, provide this extra support to the prophets. So this is a kind of overall situation about Esma infallibility. Inshallah, in the next session, if Allah inshallah gives us to feel, we will finish inshallah this unit. The main remaining topic is Miracles. We will talk about inshallah Muhammad. Wa akhir da'wana and alhamdulillah Rabbil Allah.